Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Darian, Darian Burns, or Darren. You can call me either one. I'm, I'm uh, bi- bipolar or whatever, um, and go by both names uh, since my family really messed me up when I was younger about that. Um, but uh, I was uh, up visiting a friend from Baltimore. I, I, my voice is a lot louder than Aaron's. I mean, it's probably going to ring if you don't turn it down. Um, but I was up visiting a friend from uh, Baltimore in uh, Greeley last summer, taking a little bit of break time. And, uh, and Aaron and I have been friends for a number of years. And uh, I just have so much respect for him as a man of God and who's passionate about Jesus and who invest in people. One of the ways that we got to know each other is, is, uh, is he invested in, in my life. And, um, and I uh, sat around his kitchen table, and he brought out this plan for Project Salt. And the Spirit of God moved. And I, God spoke to me. And I, I, I think I even used these exact words. I looked at Aaron, and I said, this is how the church is supposed to be. When he shared the full vision and the full idea and um, and I've been in ministry over 25 years in all kinds of different levels and everything. And I, I, I'm reluctant to say this, this about Jeremy because I was his age at one time. And I hope you don't mind, but I pray for your humility every day um, because you're so talented. But in 25 years of ministry, probably two of the most profound times of worship that I've had has been in a room with the door shut with Jeremy Aaron and Jeremy's music playing and singing to it. And, um, and so I went back from my little vacation time and I told my elders that, uh, that I was moving to Greeley um, to, uh, to be a part of this thing and see what God does. And I am so excited. I'm so excited what God's going to do tonight. If you want to take your Bibles, you can turn... First of all, to John chapter 13, John chapter 13, um, uh, and uh, we'll be looking at verse 13, um, and then we'll be going to Psalm 46, so if you want to put your finger there, we, you can go there to Psalm 46. I'm going to take this thing off um, because I want to be comfortable, and I don't want to, um, to be like fiddling with it the whole time and stuff. So there, and of course I have to take this off too now. Um, but uh, but um, the uh, the uh, I just got back from a, a week of writing. I'm writing a book called Micah's Touch: God's Sightings from the Edge of Autism. If you don't know, my wife and I have a son named Micah. He has autism, and the book is what God has revealed to me about Himself through uh, through growing up with Micah and watching him grow up. One of the chapters this has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just a funny story that I like. And I, I wrote this last week. One of the chapters is on overcoming the fear of man. And I say in the, at the very beginning of the chapter, one of the things that I, I envy about Micah is he could care less what anybody thinks. He has no fear of anybody's opinions, of what anybody thinks. And we are so bound by that. And I tell this story as an example of that. When I was pastoring in Baltimore, our house was right next door to the church. And Michael loves to jump on the trampoline because it stimulates some of his brain or whatever. And um, so uh, I'm, I'm coming out of church on a Sunday morning, and uh, 
you know, one of us stay, one of the, either one of the boys or my wife would stay with Mike each Sunday, and we would ro- they would rotate. And so one of them was staying with Micah that Sunday, or a member of the church was, but they weren't paying attention. And so I'm coming out of the door of the church with all the little old ladies, all the little gray hairs of the church, all the prim and proper Presbyterians. And, uh, and one of the little ladies, I hear her say, oh, pastor. And she points, and there in my backyard, jumping on the trampoline, is Micah, just naked as a jaybird. And, uh, and so everybody goes freaking, you know, trying to get Micah in my house, and Micah's like, what's the deal? Everybody knows it's, it's more fun to jump on a trampoline naked. And, uh, and he could care less what people think. Um, so that's free. It's a little preview of the book. But, um, but let's read from, uh, from John chapter 13. Aaron has been doing this series on the I Am. And he's done such an amazing job. And he's, he's talked to us and he's taught us about, you know, Jesus being... He is the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the light. I am the water. Um, And he even goes back and he talks about the whole I am. I am runs throughout Scripture. It starts in Exodus where, where God just proclaims his presence. And he says in his presence, I am. And it's sort of like if Jeff Bridges was true to what he said he was about being the dude, Jesus God is saying, I'm the dude of the universe forever. I am. And so tonight we're going to look at where he says, I am master and I am Lord. It says that in the King James. In the New International it says, I am teacher and Lord. But um, one of the things, we're going to be starting house church this week and Wednesday. So if you need directions, call my wife and I and we'll give you directions. It's going to be at our house. But the first section of our house church is going to be from creation to new creation, how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible. And one of the things that I'm real big on is I, I always say context is king. Can you all say that with me? Context is king. Say it. Context is king. And so if you want to understand what Scripture is saying, you need to know what's going on around it and what the context is. And so I'm just going to set up this verse for a few minutes. This is it, guys. This is the end. This, what's so amazing about what Jesus is fixing to say, there's two amazing things going on there. First, once he's showing the ultimate example of servitude by washing the feet of his disciples and by serving them the last meal. And also... He knows in just a few moments he's going to be betrayed. In a few hours he's going to be dead. And what does he say? Well, let's see what he says in verse, um, chapter 13, verse 13. Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Let's let's pray. Father, I pray that you will take these words and they just won't give us some type of cognitive, intellectual, informational understanding. But you tell us that this is the living word. And I pray that you will take it by the power of your Holy Spirit and you will illuminate our minds so it will give us understanding of what we look at tonight. 
an understanding that penetrates into the deepest part of who we are and changes us forever and ever. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Shattered. He had been sitting there for hours. The phone was ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing. And he couldn't. He would not pick it up. For the last time he picked it up, he heard the cold clinical voice of the physician. She was gone. It wasn't supposed to be this way. After five years of marriage, two beautiful children, vacations, dreams, long walks, holding hands, friends, family, church, prayers, laughing, crying together, she was gone. And it was all Somehow he would go on with life. He had to. They were supposed to grow old together. They were supposed to raise their children and enjoy them together. They were supposed to have grandchildren and rock them on their laps and spoil them together. And she was gone kind of seemed like as he sat there and that phone kept ringing like it was a dream and it wasn't true. But it was. Very, very true. And somehow the ringing of the phone finally broke through the fog and he picked it up. It was the daycare. They were getting ready to close. coming to get the children. And so he got up, he hung up the phone, and he went and got his children shattered. So Jesus is Master and Lord. What does that mean? What does that mean in situations like this when he says, I am? There are people here tonight that your experience is not the experience that I describe, but you may be at a place where you're asking yourself, all right, what does it mean? So what? I am hurting so deeply. My dreams have been so rocked. My expectations have been so consumed and turned on their head. So what? What does it mean that he's my master and my Lord? If you are not there, perhaps you've been there. If you haven't been there, you will be there one day. And there are questions that we as believers have to search and to think seriously about. 
sometime or another, you will be or have been blindsided by crisis or pain or trouble. You too had your world shattered. You have been like G.K. Chesterton describes in the dark night of the soul. What then? Well, let's look at this master and this Lord. Let's turn to Psalm 46, if you will, with me. At the end of Psalm 46, in verse 10, God tells us again, I am God. But remembering the context of the scene, what does he say before that? And what does it have to do with him being master and Lord? And what does it have to do with this story that I've set up? Well, let's read it together, beginning in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes the wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with and then in verse seven, uh, 10, be still. The Hebrew here is a continuous action verb it's describing, which means be still with God. Be still. Keep being still. Always be still. Rest. Be in His presence. Never leave Him. Know that He is God. Creates the habit of being in the presence of Almighty God and stay there. So, what do we get from this? If you get nothing else from tonight, I want you to take away the point that in times of trouble, we must place our faith in our Master and Lord. And as this verse in verse 10 tells us, we must develop the habit of being in God, of bowing before I am, of experiencing the presence of God on a daily basis and making it a part of the very fiber of who we are. Because when we do that, and the waves come, and the mountains crumble, and the phone calls, and the ring. And the dreams fade. Then we'll know, so what? Then we'll know what it means to have a master and a Lord. Then we will know what he means when he stands before us, before us and he says, I 
am. He's saying he is our master. He is our Lord. So, these young men sitting on this bedside while this phone rings, or perhaps even you, what do you take from this? Well, the first thing I want us to get from the verse is that we must rest in the reality that God is our refuge. We must rest in the reality that God is our refuge. In times of trouble, we must rest in the reality that I am, that our Lord and our Master is our refuge and He is our strength. God is the refuge and strength for our children. Look with me, if you will, at the very beginning. It says, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in time of trouble. Um, if you know anything about this idea of refuge, I believe that the psalmist is referring here to Numbers chapter 35, where God tells the Israelites to build cities of refuge throughout the nation. Now, what a city of refuge was, is a city of refuge was a place that when someone accidentally caused the death of another, the word on accidentally, there were these cities of refuge that they could flee to to escape the pursuing vengeance of the family of the one who died. So when something caves in, when your life is on the line, when you're going to face for sure death and vengeance and your sin and your fallenness and everything else is coming in on you and crushing in on you, there was a city of refuge that you could flee to, and when you reached the city of refuge, no harm could come to you. No harm could befall you. So God says, that's what I am. I'm your fortress. I'm the place you can come to. Come to my presence. Create the habit of being with me. I am. Come to me. I'll encircle you. I'll protect you. Nothing will come that I can't withstand if you're within my walls. The, the picture we have of God here of being a refuge, always available for his children, always present, always accessible always close by. You can't argue with a flood. You can't argue with an earthquake. You can't argue with storms engulfing your life. So when those times come, don't be stupid and try to do it on your own. Go to your refuge. Also, we realize that the great I Am is present. It says that he's ever present, meaning he is always available. There's a New Testament passage that, that sort of builds upon this as well. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, if you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, if you want to turn there. The Lord says, the Lord Christ says, in that verse, that all who are weary, weak, and heavy laden to come to Him, 
and in him we will find, what does the verse say? Say it again. We will find rest. We will find rest. Christ is our refuge. Christ stands with open arms. He says, come on. Come on, run. Run. Come to me. The second thing we find in this verse is we find that God is always sufficient. He is our strength. Read verse 1 again. God is our refuge and our strength. When I put my hand to my ear, that's when y'all are supposed to talk. <laughs> God is our refuge and he is our strength. Anybody here? As stupid as me, I already know that. And uh, and try to try to do it on your own. Try to carry the load. Try to be tough. Try to pretend like it's not happening. Try to soldier on. Keep moving forward. What happens in those times? What's at the end of the road of that experience? When the mountains are crumbling and the waves are overwhelming and you're just going to soldier on. What happens at the end of that? Where's your soul? Where's your strength? You're exhausted, aren't you? Can't even hardly muster the, the strength to just turn to God. You don't have to do that. You go to Him. Developed a relationship with him of knowing I am if you are still with him. When the waves come and the mountains crumble, he's strong enough. He can carry us. You know that guy with the phone ringing? He's got a life for him down the line. got those children taken care of. If he's a man of God and he loves the Lord, the Lord's going to fill his soul with meaning. That's, that means it's going to be easy? No way. But he's there. And he can carry you. You don't have to. Satan can throw all the forces of hell itself at you. But God is our strength. The I Am, the Master and Lord, has defeated death. He's defeated death, as my brother reminded me, praying over my ankle before the service. He's defeated death. He is sufficient to carry whatever load may befall us. Whatever load may come to you. Jackson Brown has a song from the 70s, yes, I'm showing my age called the, the Before the Deluge. And in the song, it's an interesting song, though, the lyrics, because he talks about these people that are building their lives, and they're going about their ordinary things, and their, their minds are on their future, and their minds are on their dreams, and their minds are on falling in love, and their minds are on living life. But then the deluge of life came, and they had no refuge in the storm. 
They had no sufficient strength to overcome it. And Brown writes, so they traded in their tired wings for the resignation that living brings. And in the moment, they were swept away before the danger. The perfect lyric to give us an example of what occurs when we don't have Christ. You're swept away in despair. You're swept away in hopelessness. You're swept away in questioning. But for us, as children of the living God, when the deluge comes, He's sufficient. He's present. He's there. The next thing we learn that in times of trouble we must realize that God is with us. In verse, in verse 4 we read that there is a river, the streams whereof may glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. The first thing I want you to take from this verse is that God is present in you. He's just not present for you. But if you are a child of the living God, He is present within you. The phrase city of God is used throughout the Old Testament. Particularly in the Old Testament, it refers to Mount Zion. It refers to Jerusalem. But that was the place where God dwelt. That was where they knew His presence was. But what we learn in the New Testament is that we discover that the city of God refers to Christ. And then Christ tells us when He dies that the city of God is going to refer to the Holy Spirit. When we accept Christ, He comes to dwell within us. So the presence of God is no longer in a city. It's no longer in a temple. The presence of the living God resides within us. So what we learn from this psalm is that flowing from the throne of heaven is a river. The Spirit of God flowing into our presence. It's the strength of Almighty God within us. In the words of my five-year-old son when we were driving back and he asked me if he could see God and I tried to explain to him, man, is that something or what? Right? Does that not blow your mind? Is that not something or what? He dwells within us. Your heavenly Father is always not only with you, He is in you. He is mercy in the middle of your pain. He is comfort in the midst of your conflict. He is tenderness in the midst of your trials. If you've never read The Hiding Place, you should. It's one of the best biographies ever written by a believer, by a lady named Corey Ten Boom who hid Jews in her house. Uh, during the Holocaust, saved their lives. And she and her family were put into concentration camps and arrested for it. And there's a, cha- there's, a, there's a place in the story where they come, and they'll come on a daily basis almost and drag her to the commandant's um, thing, and he'll grill her and try to, try to get information from her. But on this day, he challenges her faith face to face. Because, you see, Corey had this dear father that she loved called Opa. He was one of the most beloved people in Holland, Harlem. And he was arrested that night 
an old man almost in his 90s. They gave him an opportunity to leave. They said, old man, if you will tell me you will never hide a Jew again, you can go home and die in your own bed. And he said, if one in need ever comes to my door, they will always be welcome here. So the commandant brings Corey to his headquarters. And he challenges her faith. He says, finally, in all the cruelty that evil could muster, tell me, Miss Timboon, this God you say you serve, where is he now as you slowly die in this prison? This God you say you serve, where was this God of yours when an old man died and was thrown alone into a pauper's grave? And Corey looked him in the eye. And she said, I know you speak of my father, but you are mistaken. He was not alone. The same God who is with me right now in this room the one you cannot see because you choose to reject him. The same God was with my father. He went to a grave like my father, and like my father, he still lives. Today he is here with me, Commander, and he is also in heaven with my father. My father and my mother, they are together, and they are with my Lord. Do you believe that? Tonight, if you're not struggling with something, it's easy to say that. But grind it into your soul and spirit so that you may shake your head with the confidence of a believer in the hard times coming. Also, what we get in verse 4 is we get that he is present through his church. Not only does the New Testament tell us that God, the the temple of God dwells within us through Jesus Christ. But it also tells us that the temple of God dwells within the church when believers come together. One of the things that I love about Project Salt is I believe and I pray we never forget it. We know what it means to be the body of Christ and to be there one for another. And I pray God will teach us more and more what it means deeper and deeper each day. But God shows His mercy. God shows His ability, His strength. God shows His safety within the confines of the true church if it is truly being church. It is not a place where you are pointed at and judged. It is not a place where you are talked about behind your back. It is not a place that you are expelled for less than perfection. It is a place, it is a city of refuge where you can run to even when your soul is crying out, Are you real? You have a church there where the presence of God resides. You say, Yes. Yes. We are here. The next thing I want you to get is in times of trouble we must realize that our Master and our Lord, our Teacher and our Lord, blesses his children. That may seem odd for me to say that after all we've gone through. I'm talking about hard times and, and when everything falls apart. What in the world do I mean when I say that God blesses his children? 
It's interesting that the psalmist talks about a river that makes glad when in the beginning the psalm speaks of trouble. But you see, the two can fit together quite nicely. If you want to check this whole idea of river blessing out, by the way, if you want to write this down, you can look at Ezekiel 47 and John 7, 37, where elsewhere in Scripture where it talks about the river of God being the presence of God flowing into our lives. But how in the world does God bless us through trouble? I hope you don't mind me picking on you. One of the reasons I pray for Jeremy's humility every day is because I used to be his age. And uh, I sang. the man that sits here today who understands and loves and longs to proclaim to anyone that will listen the grace of God did not know it before. The blessing was the struggle. You know anything about Emperor Mog? If you watch them when they're in their cocoon, they struggle to get out. It's painful to watch them almost. It takes hours and it looks like they will never get free. There are even times that it appears as if they're going to die. And a person, if they were to come along and watch this, would short circuit the process and give them mercy and take scissors and cut the cocoon so they could come out. But you see what would happen if we did that? is you would get this ugly moth with little bitty wings dragging a big body around. Instead of what it eventually would become, which would be a beautiful creature once it developed through its struggle. Sometimes trouble may be exactly what we need. So you see, when the storms of life come, What won't we do when we face trouble? We must do when life's trials are too much for us to handle. We must trust. Believe. We must bow before the throne of the great I Am. And we must be
books and have a chapter on them and trust in God. And I talk about how when I, when I was a single dad and the boys were little, they would get in bed with me and uh, they would come and uh, I'd put my arm around them at night. They'd fall asleep and they'd drift back. And Micah, who used to never like to be touched, he would almost fight it. He started coming up and he'd just wrap his arm around my leg and he'd look up at me. And during this time, I had a dream. And God was sitting on his throne in heaven. And he's doing like this. And I go up and I just wrap my arms around his leg. And I look up at him. I crawled up in his lap. And he put his arms around. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your immense goodness and love and kindness. I thank you that you are my master, my teacher, my Lord. You are the great I am. I thank you that you are a refuge in the midst of a storm, that you are an ever-present help, and that your strength far, far exceeds anything I could ever hope for. I pray for those here tonight who will speak to their hearts. You will tell them to hold on. You will assure them that in their deepest, innermost being, your presence. You will turn their eyes to you. And they will be able to hope in you. In Christ's name. now comes a time of worship. And this is a time that you can worship in a number of different ways. And what's so cool about it is it's a time that you can come and you can be still in the presence of God. Listen to the music. Sing along with the words. Sit silently in your seat and pray. Go to another that God may be moving within you with them, or you may lead prayer. It could be a time of confession. Jesus, praise God for your Get it all. Bring it into the light so it leads to Christ. It could be a time, you know, in John 13, 13, that the Lord's Supper, Jesus said to the go back, we have three tables back there. Where you can take the meat, take the bread, and dip it into the cup. And experience the reality of God. 
cards on the table back there as well. You know that church that I talked about that's the presence of God? That's here. Let us know. Let us become your family. If just for a few weeks or for years. But we're all part of the body. You can go back to the table, take communion, worship through offering, worship through 